Hello, my friends, and welcome to another Robcast. This is episode 197, and I am smiling. Well, I mean, you may even, you may sense my smile through your earbuds, through uh, your speakers. And obviously, I love doing this. I love giving you these Robcast sermons, and this sermon especially, this one, this one's a cooker, but... I need to tell you what I'm going to do right after I record this episode. At some point, I'm going to finish recording this episode, and then I'm going to go pick up my daughter at school, and then we're going to come home, and I'm going to tell her that I have a surprise for her. And the first part of the surprise is we need to pack a picnic dinner. So we're going to put a bunch of food together, and she's going to keep asking me, what's the surprise? What's the surprise? Because at that point, I got her. <laughs> Dad is one step ahead. And then we're going, I'm going to tell her we're going to probably eat, uh, we're tailgate. We're going to eat in the back of the car. Like we'll open up the back of the car and sit there and eat dinner. And then I'm going to drive her to the Rose Bowl. And at some point, maybe at parking, maybe while we're eating dinner, at some point, that little nine-year-old brain is going to figure out, wait a second, is Taylor Swift at the Rose Bowl tonight? And she's going to figure out, I got tickets for us to see Taylor Swift. And I'm telling you, that girl, it's. I was going to say she'd spontaneously combust. That's what I do. But this is you know, her mother's daughter. So she will like keep it in, but she will also be like... So, oh man, seriously, I'm going to have such dad smile. So that's why I have dad smile right now because when you're a dad and you have a surprise, when you're surprising your nine-year-old daughter with Taylor Swift, like as far as dad surprises, that's upper tier. Are you with me on that? So I have my usual joy that I get to record a sermon and share it with you, but then stacked on top of it is... uh dad joy and the dad smile that comes from how the next few hours are going to go. So anyway, <laughs> I figured I had to tell you that in case you were like listening to this going, man, he's extra. He's a, He's got extra mojo this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The usual plus a bit extra. Speaking of extra joy, uh, next Largo show is June 4. Um, Largo is a club here in Los Angeles, and I'm going to be doing uh, a new show I've come up with. And you know, I probably should just give you the title of the show because I love saying the title. Um, the show is called An Introduction to Joy, How to Be Less Cynical and More Honest About the Subversive Truth That Lurks Just Below the Surface of Everything. <laughs> Ah, how is that one? You know I love titles, but that one, uh, that's a monster of a title. Woo! So anyway, that's Largo. Tickets are at largo-la.com. Would love to see you there. And speaking of would love to see you there, UK tour, first two weeks of July, England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales. I am coming your way. UK and Ireland tour. Uh, tickets, it's the Holy Shift tour. Um it rolls on, and tickets are at greenbelt.org.uk, and uh, I'm coming your way, UK and Ireland, friends. Would love to see you then. Now, let's do a sermon, shall we? Uh, because you know I love them sermons. And this sermon is called, But He Shouted All the More. 
which is a line directly from the New Testament. And uh, that's just a solid, I love that line, but he shouted all the more. And this entire sermon orbits, revolves around one question that Jesus asks a man. There's this blind beggar, and he's been shouting, trying to get Jesus' attention. Jesus has the blind beggar brought to him, and Jesus just says to the man, what do you want me to do for you? (laughs) How great is that? What do you want me to do for you? Or you could shorten it. What do you want me to do? Or you could shorten it even more. What do you want? I mean, it was probably, I don't know, 15 years ago? Uh, when I first, I probably, I probably read this story, but then it's like I read the story. It's like something, it's like uh, the familiar suddenly becomes unfamiliar. It's that thing that you've, you know it, you've heard, oh yeah, the blind beggar and Jesus like heals him. Wait, 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 hold on. The first thing Jesus does when he's face to face with a man is he asks the man a question. Classic rabbi move, by the way. He doesn't launch into some diatribe or some teaching or some doctrine. He asks the man a question. But the question is, uh, what do you want me to do for you? Or, uh, what do you want me to do? Or, what do you want? What do you want? Jesus doesn't take the man away from his desire, but takes him further into his desire. A healthy spiritual vision for your life will never be about avoiding your desire or repressing your desire or denying your desire. It will never be about turning off your heart, uh, but will be about going further into its center. Yeah, it won't be about denial. It'll be about engagement. It won't be about avoidance It'll be, or, or repressing but going farther in to the center. Yeah, desire. Desire. Like, what, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do? What do you want? Desire is the engine. It's so central to everything, and so many people uh, were either taught like an overindulgence of desire, but they were like, like, cheap desire, like fleeting desire, like 99 cent plastic going to end up in a trash bin and no time desire. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it was like a counterfeit desire, B grade desire, JV desire. So many people were either just give in to your desire or you're just sort of a slave to desire. But when talking about those desires, passing, fleeting, treble, no base, or if it wasn't an overindulgence in just surrender to your desire... For many people, desire was a terrifying word, a disruptive word, a word, whatever you do, don't talk about what you want. Uh, and for many people, the spiritual path especially was, they, they were taught, it, it's about the suppression of your desire. It's about what the community wants, the religion wants, God wants. But whatever you do, don't actually talk about what you want. Um, yeah, so... Uh, it's important that we talk about desire because desire is the engine. And what happens in this story is Jesus meets a man and he asks a question to the man. And the question is a question about desire. What do you want? And Jesus does not proceed any farther 
until it is clear what the man wants. So the man's been shouting, making a ruckus. He's been rebuked by the people who are sort of handling Jesus and leading him through this city. And finally, he Jesus hears him enough that he, ha- bring the man to me. And then he asks this question, which is actually a terribly clarifying question. Uh, what do you want? And we're going to come back later to the clarifying power of this question. But right here at the front end, uh, this is a big idea. This is a big idea. Jesus does not proceed any further until it has been clearly established what the man wants. <laughs> now, a bit of background, because you know we always have to do a bit of background, a bit of context, sort of uh, set the stage here. Uh, Luke chapter 18, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he's asked what was happening. They told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And here's an interesting thing that happens linguistically. The man then called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So what the crowd says to the man is Jesus of Nazareth is coming through. But then what the man shouts is Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me on me. Why is this interesting? Well, Nazareth is a town, so that's a location. So when they say Jesus of Nazareth, uh, there's this teacher, healer, mystic, revolutionary, rabbi, whoever he is, he's coming through. He's, uh, He's that guy from Nazareth. But when the man shouts out, he shouts out, son of David, Jesus, son of David. That's a loaded term. To say Jesus, son of David, was to say, Jesus, I believe you are the one that we've been anticipating. I believe that you have in some ways spirit with you, that there's something historic happening here about the divine and the human, that our people have not been abandoned, but that we have been held close by the divine the whole time, and that the divine even now is moving to reconcile, to renew, to restore and that something is happening through you that is about all of humanity uh, being healed and restored. Do you see what I'm saying? So when the man says, Jesus, son of David, uh, he has some convictions about who this Jesus is. Of course, the people who are with Jesus, uh, those who led the way rebuked the man and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. Come on, is that a title or what? But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, side note, these people who are leading the way, disciples, uh, publicists, (laughs) uh, the logistics people, uh, these people who are leading the way, they're caught up in being a part of the Jesus crowd. But they rebuke this man and they tell him to be quiet. So you can be in the center of the Jesus circle, making arrangements, clearing the way, leading him through the town, and yet be very disconnected from who Jesus is and what he's doing. You can use the name Jesus, you can organize his hotels, you can... uh, sort out the motorcade, Uh, you can clear the way for him, and yet have deeply, totally misjudged 
who he is and what he's about. Because their response to the man is to rebuke the man and tell him to be quiet. Yeah, it's like the... Sometimes the whole tradition has gone off the rails. Sometimes the whole tradition has lost the plot. Sometimes the, the entire establishment, sometimes the whole institution has lost its way. And so it continues to say these things, and it continues uh, to run the website and to send out the emails, right? And, and to put the sign out by the road. And yet it's miles from the original founding impulse. Think about this in business. When whatever that business was, it started with innovation and risk and bravery. It had its ear to ground and had some sense there's a better way to do this. And now it's actually aligned itself against innovation. It's still protecting the old ways. So it says one thing and it, and it even, sometimes even the, you think about this in religion, they, they can be extolling their founder and praising the people who started the thing, business, academics, politics. They can be speaking in the name of their founder and yet have lost their way, are so deeply disconnected from the original impulses of the founder. Are you with me on this? Yeah. Yeah. So the way that the story is told is the people who are closest to Jesus tell the man, they rebuke him. They tell him to be quiet. They ignore him and the assumption that Jesus would ignore them too. They have so lost the plot that they're actually in the name of leading the way for Jesus, lost the way of Jesus. People can say the name Jesus a lot. They can have leadership positions in the Jesus-y stuff and yet be way, way, way off of who Jesus is and how the whole thing works. And so the man is rebuked. He's told to be quiet, but he shouted the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, here's why I find this so utterly compelling. In his encounter with the blind beggar, Jesus does not begin by imposing someone else's life or path or desires on the man. He simply asks what is already in the man. This is not about placing something foreign upon the man. This is about unleashing what is already present within him. What is in you? What do you want? Tell me. It's not, here's what I have for you. It's what is already in you. Let's listen to that. It's not imposing someone else's life on the man's, but it's the deepest discovery of what is truest within the man. So the path for you and I, it will not be us being someone else. It will not be us reading off someone else's script. It will be discovering our own script. You and you being fully alive will not you being 
a counterfeit version of your brother or some B-grade version of everything that your boss or your parents or your spouse want you to be. The path will be the deepest discovery of your truest life and self. Yeah. So when Jesus encounters the man, what is it you want me to do for you? Let's start there. Yeah, the Christ comes to each of us and speaks to each of us in the stillness, in the quiet, when we're not being bombarded with a thousand other voices, the Christ speaks to us. And the Christ does not say, why can't you be like her? (laughs) The Christ does not say, man, that guy's got it figured out. Take some notes from him. No. The Christ comes to each of us. What do you want? Now, uh, this Jesus tradition, its roots are in this long-held conviction that in the Christ, the divine and human are in the same place. The eternal, the infinite, in a skin bag, in flesh and blood and bone, just like the rest of us. All of it coming together in a body. So uh, this path, you and the divine, you into your deepest, highest, truest self, It will not be the imposing of something foreign on you. It will be your discovery of something more familiar than even the most familiar. As you go further and further into who you are here to be, as the divine and the human become more and more the same thing in you, it will not be some other thing. It will be that which is most familiar. It's like you'll be more and more you. Sometimes it even becomes the familiar is unfamiliar because we've been listening to so many other voices for so long that we're starting, that we find ourselves stepping more than ever into who we are here to be. And at first it even feels like learning a new language because it's like you've been speaking other languages for so long. Yeah, it's almost, it's as if as you discover your true self, you realize, oh, this is where it was headed all along. It's both totally new and very old. It's both unfamiliar and yet deeply familiar. Like, oh yeah, that's who, that's who I was here to be the whole time, and I'm just now discovering it. Yes, of course, the path will not be the imposing of some foreign person onto yourself It will be the discovery of what's been in you, latent but present, the whole time. Jesus has the man brought to him, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What is in you? Let's start there. Now, uh, let's correct a few things. One thing about the divine, one thing about others. First, oftentimes when you talk about desire, A lot of people, especially if maybe there was a religious uh, layer or uh, uh, American work ethic thing that got, in an unhealthy way, sort of layered upon a person's life, is you start talking about desire, and many people are like, oh, oh, wait, 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 desires are something to be avoided. Uh, Desires are 
wrong, bad, dangerous. Um, and because de- desire is so closely associated with joy, for many people, it's like, uh, no, no, I'm, no, my joy isn't the point. Uh, my desires, no, what does the group want? Um, what does the religion want? What does the highest figure, what does God, uh, often is the language people would use. It's not about what I want, it's about what God wants. Um, but how could your true joy be anything other than those two things being the same thing? Are you with me on this? If your deepest joy, lasting, sustained joy, could be found somewhere other than the highest divine ideals and path for your life, then that wouldn't be true joy. They have to be the same thing. And this is why it's important to identify there are some B market desires. There are counterfeit desires. There are treble, not base desires. There are 99 cent store desires, right? You know, I mean, people are like, well, I just want to like drive a nice truck. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or I just, just want to go shopping and take a nice vacation. Okay, those are like vacation desires. We're not talking about we're not talking about that. We're talking about the desire behind desire. Sometimes when people talk about, well, my, and what I really want is what they're basically saying is they need a vacation because they're exhausted. Fair play. We're talking about the desire behind desires. Your deepest longings for the kind of life you're here to live. Yeah, if, if, if your deepest joy could be found somewhere other than deepest reality, than the divine, then it's not joy or it's not the divine. They have to be the same thing. Which leads me to others. When you talk about desire, sometimes for people, it's like, yeah, but that sounds selfish. If I, if I indulge my desire, if I just do what I want, um, what about all the people who need to be fed? What about all the people who need to be served? What about, you know, um, desire for many people becomes synonymous with selfish. Um, no, no. If you listen to your deepest desire and you follow it where it takes you, how is you fully alive not the best possible gift you can give the world? How will that joy not overflow? How will you not? And if it is just about you, you'll always end up bored. If it is just about us and our pleasure and our indulgence, you'll always end up at boredom and that isn't joy and that isn't true desire. So let's rid ourselves of these sort of immature notions that somehow desires are either opposed to the divine or are selfish and opposed to the flourishing of others. Think about all of the people who have moved you the most, people who have done things, said things, cared for you, created works of art. Um, think about the people who have most moved you. Um, no, when you. When you talk to them about their life and why they do what they do, and you got a chance to, to get a, like a, a bit of insight into how they became this kind of person who had blessed you in such ways. Have you ever heard one of them say, well, I guess, I, I, don't, know, I don't know, I was just supposed to. Did you ever hear somebody say, well, it was just my duty, and you know, duty's kind of a drag, but you know, it is duty, so I guess you're supposed to, no, no. They talk about it, it was an honor. They talk about it was a pleasure. They talk about, I just had this sense there was a better way to do it, and I went after it. I gave everything I had to it, because that was what, 
That was what made me feel most alive. What are they discussing? They're discussing desire. They're discussing joy. Your greatest gift is you fully alive. And you start with the question, what's in there? What, what do I want? Desire is the engine. You get tuned into desire. And all of the sudden, you will find clarity and direction like never before. Uh, and, and lots of people have said this before. Our problem generally is not that our desires are too great. It's that they're too small. They're 99 cent store desires. We settle for these cheap imitation desires. Uh, and, and then for many people, another way in which the word desire becomes negative is their des what they would call their desires have gotten them into all sorts of trouble. Uh, so oftentimes the word desire for many people, it triggers um, hangups, patterns, destructive habits, addictions even. It's like, man, the last thing I need to do is listen to my desires. It, those, those, were, uh, those were like fake desires. Those were pretend desires. So oftentimes what happens is we're in a battle with what we've named desires. Uh, sometimes it's called temptation or cravings. Uh, maybe you struggle with something and you keep falling for it and you try to stay strong, but then you can only hold out for so long and then you give in and then you feel worse the next, uh, the next morning. Um, and so then you have shame and the shame weakens the will. But when you think about this struggle with whatever this is, this craving, this, uh, it's the taste for something. It's uh, maybe it's straight up addiction. Oftentimes what happens is then people begin to pit. It's like my will against this desire I have. And it's, I just got to tough it out. I just got to stay strong. But if you're like me, I can only stay strong for so long. And then I just fold like a cheap tent. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If it's me versus the desire, Whew, that desire looks pretty good, <laughs> right? The desire starts talking to you, you know, like you want me, right? You know what that, you know, that thing, like there's that moment when, oh man, you're with a group of people and somebody's name comes up and, oh, you have this takedown on the tip of your tongue and you don't want to be that negative person. You don't want to be the kind of person who shreds other people behind their back, but it's just right there and it's just like low hanging fruit and it would just feel so good to like let everybody know what you think about that person. And you're like, I, but it's just your own willpower against the desire to say that, do that, et cetera. This is why desire is so incredibly important. If the battle is just me and my willpower against the desire, oh, that's brutal. And this is why we have to go further into our desires is what you do in those moments is you ask yourself, of course, I want this. Put that thing right in front of you. This is what I want. But then ask yourself, is there anything I want more? Is there anything I want more? Because with this, let's say this, when I, take, when I do this, when I fall for this, I don't feel as good about my body. Is there anything I want more than my craving for that? Oh yeah, I want my body to feel great. I want to feel great in this skin bag in this meat suit. I want to feel fantastic. Oh, that, my friends, is how it works. 
is you find something you want more and you focus on that and you put that in front of you and you create mantras to keep that right there front and center. You let your desire for something greater overtake the smaller desire. You let the bigger push out the smaller. And I'm telling you this more times, this has rescued me when I'm like, ah, why do I always do that? Oh, wait, is there something I want more? Yes. I want to be that kind of person. See, the answer isn't stifling desire or repressing desire or ignoring desire or denying desire or shutting it off like a valve. No, the answer is to go even deeper into your desires. Yeah, you get this vision for what you, the kind of person that you want to be, and you go after that and you let it push aside. You so give yourself to that desire that years later you look up back on things that you once desired and you're like, really? I seriously used to want that when this was possible? Oh. Yeah, that's, my friends, that's how it works. Now, uh, let's talk about the clarifying power of desire because the number of people I've met who will literally say, I don't know what I want. Is there anything more important than figuring out what you want? Like, this is important work. Do this work. Do this work because so many things so many resentments that we carry around are because we said yes to something or we let other people determine something for us because we hadn't done the work of figuring out who we are and what we want here. And so the reason why we're upset with that person is because we ended up reading from their script, walking down the path they macheted for us because we hadn't figured out what our path was and what we want. Especially you have people in close proximity to you who are constantly like, what about this? What about this? You should do this. If you have people who are shooting on you all the time, uh, the sooner you can determine what it is you want, because boundaries flow from desire, the sooner you know how to say no and how to respond to the endless ways that the world around you can try and shape your path. Uh, if you're in a long-term relationship, one of the greatest gifts you can give this other person is to name what you want. Yeah. And then find out what they want. Yeah, of course. How can somebody love you well? How can they go after your desires with you if you haven't been clear about what those desires are in the first place? Yeah, so this is actually one of the ways that you honor, especially somebody who, who you're going the distance with. One of the ways that you honor them is you do this work. Yeah, because how, how, how else are they going to love? How do you love somebody who doesn't know what they want? Yes, and sometimes this is the, 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 the work we do with each other is we help this other person. We help them. I, I, maybe, maybe that's what you, oh, you're right. Maybe we help them clarify. Oh, and as, well as, as long as we're on it, I'll tell you where desire is incredibly clarifying, is in toxic, soul-sucking relationships with people who have no boundaries. If you have somebody who steps all over you 
and who is constantly like pushing you and they're con- you find they're constantly violating your, your psychic space, uh, ask them, just, just quote Jesus. Uh, and people always you hear people say like, I just want to be Jesus to them. Okay, here, literally be Jesus to them. Say, what do you want me to do for you? Oh, this one is, if you sense somebody is manipulating you, if you sense somebody is crowding you, if you sense somebody is trying to get something from you or they're trying to use you to get something they want, ask them that what do you want me to do for you? Because nothing can, nothing can bring to the surface quicker uh, any toxicity that's lurking there. Because they may literally say, I want you to X, and you're like, uh, I don't do that. At least now it's in the open. Do you realize what you're asking? Um, do you? <laughs> nothing, few things bring any toxicity to the surface. It's like a magnet with shards of metal. Few things come to the, bring things to the surface faster than this question. What do you want me to? What is your desire here? Man, you get there now, or or somebody uh, somebody around you is complaining and they just keep going. They've got their violin and their wine and their cheese, and they just keep going. Oh, my word, just stop them and say, uh, sorry, but what do you want? What do you want? Yeah. Oh, nothing makes the discussion, few things make a discussion turn into more interesting territory faster than this question. I'm sorry, I guess I missed it, but what do you want? Yeah, oftentimes a person's complaining because they don't know it. They haven't done this work. They're going on and on. They're they haven't sorted through what they actually, they're trying to work their way and you've just given them a gift. Oh, desire. I know desire, desire, desire. It comes again and again. It's fascinating in the book of, in this story, the story about this man who shouts all the more. Um, there's the parable of the persistent widow. There's the two men who go up to the temple to pray. There's the rich man who walks away. Um, there's Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who gets up in a tree. It's like again and again and again, the stories are about desire. Who wants this? What do you want? Again and again. Sometimes it's as simple as a prayer. Oh, God, help me understand what I want here because I'm totally turned upside down. Help me figure out what so-and-so wants. Help me have the courage to ask so-and-so what they want. Or if you're battling, if you're in one of those, you're battling some habit, some destructive pattern, some craving, make this your prayer. Like, God, help me want something more. Help me want it so much more that I'll lose my desire for this thing that just keeps getting the best of me. Uh, show me, because oftentimes our desires are counterfeit desires. In wanting this thing that keeps letting me down and filling me with shame and failing to deliver, what is the thing I want behind that thing? What's the deeper search that's going on here? I keep falling prey to that substance, person, issue, craving, desire. Uh, what's the thing I want more? That this is, I keep settling for the B-grade knockoff version. I'm telling you, the desire gives your prayers all sorts of clarity. Please give me a vision for something I could want more. 
that would help me win this battle that's just me against my desire, help me have it be a larger desire against less desire. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do one more, shall we? Here we go. One more thought. Oh, I didn't even finish the story, which is related to the one more thought. Uh, Jesus says to the man, what do you want me to do for you? The man replies, Lord, I want to see. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Okay, I'm sure you noticed something there, right? <laughs> Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said, oh, now you can see, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. <laughs> oh, another classic from JC. Your faith has healed you. Literally like, oh, I didn't do that. Oh, can you see now? Yeah, you can see. Oh, I didn't do that. Your faith did that. <laughs> now, this, uh, by the way, side note, in religious circles, from what I've been told, this has jacked lots of people up. People who were sick, and then they were told, oh, the reason why you're not well is you don't have enough faith. This is not about that. That's a separate bonkers issue. Let's just set that aside. So those of you who are like, oh, does this mean that if you have cancer, you just need to have faith, and then you be, no. We're not going to deal with that. Well, that'll be some other episode. Here, though, I want to zero in on this. Your faith has saved you. It's almost, it's as if Jesus said, you had the imagination for more. Yeah. It's like you had the desire. Yeah, desire opened up all sorts of new possibilities. I was talking to a man a little while ago. He was telling me about his job, and he was telling me about how half of his job he loves and half of his job he hates. And he was saying to me, I didn't even know if he could keep going because of how much he hated the half. And I said to him, could you make a list of all the things in the half that you hate? And could you make a list of all the things of the job that you love? Yeah, yeah. I was like, could you have two lists? He's like, absolutely. I was like, well, what if somebody came along Oh, and do you have other ideas for the half of the job that you love? Are there other more things you could do with that? Oh, yeah. I said, well, what if somebody came along and they did all the parts that you don't like to do? Because you know there's somebody somewhere who would get off on doing the stuff you hate to do. That's just true about how things work. Some people love, yeah, there's somebody who would love all that. Why don't you just make that your prayer now? And what's so interesting is the guy went blank on me. And I was like, no, seriously, think about it. Think about it. This is about imagination, what if somebody could come along and they could be hired to do all those things that are killing you, and then you could do all the things that like fill you with life and that you're obviously quite good at? And the man said, well, where would the money come from? I was like, oh my word. By the way, I know a guy, this is his phrase. He says this all the time. He says, any problem that can be solved with money isn't an interesting problem. <laughs> now, if right now you're in a giant financial hole, that's not that funny, but hang with me here. It's interesting that this man immediately shot down the idea that things could be any different than they are. And he literally had an excuse like, boom, well, where would the money come from? And I said, but they pay you. Yeah. I said, do they pay other people? Yeah. So there are lots of people in this organization that you're a part of who are being paid. 
And what you're telling me is, how could this organization ever pay somebody? <laughs> but this is happening all around you. This isn't that much of a stretch. Well, but what's so interesting is the man had zero imagination. It's like you could, it's almost like, like a body scan where you see the heat on a person's body. It's like if you had a body scan somewhere where our, where's our imagination, our mind, our heart, our elbows, wherever imagination is. If you had an imagination scan, it was literally like you could see the man. He had built up so much conviction that this is just how it is. That when I just started throwing out obvious facts and basic observations about his situation, he literally became, like he blanked. He just went Apple rainbow death wheel on me. You know what I mean? His screen just seized up. Man, I'll tell you what this man didn't do. He didn't shout all the more. He didn't shout all the, the one thing this guy wasn't doing was shouting all the more. He was like, oh, I'm a blind beggar. I guess that's just how it is. Second story. Last year, I was talking to a mom she has a high school daughter, and this daughter goes to a high school that has a legendary reputation for its mean girls. Like this school, it's, ah, oh man, it's like world-class at creating mean girls. And this mother was telling me about how her daughter uh, has some serious issues with um, food, weight, her, how she thinks about her body, her, her own sense of self, um, her own sense of shame and goodness, like... And the problems are getting, I mean, it's, it's getting serious, like, like literally threats to her health. And uh, a lot of it is directly linked to the environment that she's in. And I have um, known others who have been in this exact environment, and it's the same parents who've had kids in this environment, and they've said the same thing. It's just absolutely brutal. And uh, I said to the mom, well, yeah, she's telling you the truth. Her body is telling you all the truth. It's telling her the truth. This isn't this isn't working. She's not thriving. Why don't you take why don't you take her out and have her do uh high school like do an online school or go to a different school? Uh And I was like the mom said, "No, I just tell her this is just how it is. You just got to tough it out." Now, obviously each parent and a mom especially, she knows her kid. She but what's so interesting to me, and I'm not getting into obviously a parent knows their kid better than anybody. You got to trust that. But may I just make an observation? What was so interesting is the spiritual energy was once again, same with the dude who hates part of his job, a complete lack of imagination. A complete, it was like there was absolutely zero, oh, maybe things could be some other way. We don't like, this isn't working. What do we, there was zero, what do we want? And the idea of, you want your daughter to flourish, right? Your daughter wants to flourish, right? Well, why don't you take her out of that environment? There are other education environments. And I literally said, why don't you have her do an online school and then she could be with you all day? Because you love her. Maybe that would be the perfect thing for her. And what was so interesting is once again, whoo, screen went blank, Apple rainbow death wheel. The mom just... And I wasn't even, you know, wasn't even like a you should. It was just, huh, well, here, well, let's think about that. Uh, this wasn't even, this wasn't that sort of nosy advice thing. That was a listening to somebody and just reflecting back what I was hearing. Uh, and what's fascinating is this man shouts all the more. His desire is for something better, something more, something else. Jesus, 
son of David, have mercy on me. He refuses to accept that this is just how it is. Desire is incredibly disruptive, and desire has this nuclear capacity to disrupt because your desire says, no, I will not settle. You start listening to your desire. What do I want? You open this up. You open up your heart. This may take you into all sorts of places. I want to live more simply. I want to live with less financial pressure. I want to live in a different place. I want to live without worry. I want to live spending as much time as I can outdoors. I want to live spending as much time as I can in bare feet. I want to live waking up each morning saying, can you believe we get to do this? I want to live with more knowledge about that. I want to live having forgiven everybody for everything. You see what this does? You start talking like this. There's this great line in the letter to the Ephesians, not to the one who's able to do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. How great is that? It's like a benediction. It's like a prayer. It's like a mantra. If you're going to get a tattoo, now to the one who is able to do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. And this blind beggar in Jericho is like, no, this can't be it. So Jesus of Nazareth passes through. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They tell him to shut up. They rebuke him. He shouts even louder. But he shouted all the more. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's like this broken, humble ache. And then Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? I should, add a, I should add a post note to this whole thing. You've noticed, obviously, that I don't use the word Christianity a lot. Because I don't use that word when I'm not doing a podcast. I don't find it that helpful because it feels like a big, bulky, feels like a sweater that doesn't fit. Like, it's a big, bulky, and people are like, what are your thoughts on Christianity? What do you mean? Like, what? Statements? Propositions? Uh stuff that people say on CNN like what are you talking, you know what I mean what are you talking about it was never to me it was never like a formal religion it was never like a set of things you have to believe for me going way back and we probably should do a whole robcast series on this for me going way back it was always something uh personal something deeply personal it was never some giant system of doctrines and dogmas and who's in and who's out and who's more right. For me, it was always something about this resurrected Christ, something about the Jesus who cuts right through all that shit with the truth, with love, with grace, with compassion, with honesty. Like, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? That's, man, who knows where that will take you? Who knows what that will unlock? Who knows what new space 
that could take you into. Yeah, yeah, there you go. But he shouted all the more. That dude wouldn't accept this is just how it is. Be quiet, play the role, shut up. No way. That dude shouted all the more. So your desires, my Robcast brothers and sisters, my friends, who knows what's lurking in your desires? Who knows how clarifying your desires can be? Who knows? Just asking some people around you, what do you want me to do for you? May get rid of all sorts of ambient nonsense. Yeah. Who knows where your desire may take you? This is not about the imposing of someone else's life. It's about you and me going further and further into who we've been the whole time. <laughs>